welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, as I mentioned for the last several weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to be people who are living on mission in our everyday lives or using Jesus's metaphors in the Sermon on the Mount, living as salt and light in this world. And our specific focus in this particular series is thinking of our homes as places and spaces for this mission to occur. So fire station number 38, right across the street, as you probably know, was renovated. took a long time to renovate it, but it was recently completed. And that station provides emergency medical and fire services in this general area. Then there's another station, and it's over by Walmart. And then there's another one, and it's kind of over near where the golf course is. And then there's another one, and it's over in the new development south of Highway 50. So there are fire stations scattered in different neighborhoods of our city. So just put that in your mind for a second, this picture of drive a little while. Oh, there's a fire station. Drive somewhere else, there's another one. And you have these locations, these spaces throughout the community where emergency medical and fire service happens and springs forth from these places. Kind of a picture, hopefully, a metaphor, because in this series, we're talking about our homes as, if you will, kingdom stations that are scattered throughout our city. When we think of living on mission in this series, we're focusing on our homes as being a kingdom station located in our neighborhood, a place where kingdom goodness is modeled and proclaimed in word, but maybe even more so in deed to those around us and who are with us who do not know who Jesus is. That's what we mean by living on mission. The book of 1 Peter, the letter of 1 Peter, was written to Christians who were scattered throughout what is modern-day Turkey. And these first-century Christians at the time Peter wrote this first letter were experiencing pressure and persecution because of their faith in Christ. And so Peter addresses them in verse 11 as foreigners and aliens. I urge you, he says, as foreigners and And aliens, that is, as people who are living in exile away from their homeland. People who are living in a different culture with different priorities and different values. And so Peter is recalling the time in the Old Testament when God's people were away from Israel and away from Jerusalem and were exiled in the land of Babylon very, very far from their homeland. And he's referring to these scattered Christians as strangers and aliens to elicit in their minds that they are, in fact, in exile, scattered throughout this area that is not their home. And he tells his readers very simply and specifically to live good lives in that place of exile. So those who don't know God will see your good deeds. They will see that something is different about you. They will see that a different power inhabits you. And here's the wonder of it all. 
And God will use your life and your presence to bring other people to faith in Christ. Live in such a way that other people see the difference Jesus makes and the better way of his kingdom. This is like mission 101. This is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. And there is an eerie similarity between Peter's audience he's addressing in his letter, 1 Peter, and us. There's a lot of similarities between what they were experiencing and what we in our day are experiencing. See, Peter is writing to Christians who have zero cultural clout. He's writing to Christians who have minimal influence on the systems of their day. Christianity in the first century was a small, nearly forgettable sect comprised of a handful of marginalized and rather unspectacular people, certainly unspectacular by first century standards. I mean, Christianity, the early church, was comprised of the poor, slaves, women, widows, the working class, groups of people who, in the status of the first century, were kind of not that high on the, on the ladder. But Peter says, when we live out the values of the kingdom in our daily lives, we demonstrate Jesus to a world that does not know him. And the world, and here's the key word, the world sees Jesus in how we live. And the Spirit of God, in ways I don't understand, nor would I ever try to explain, the Spirit of God uses the stark contrast between Jesus' way and the way of the world to get people's attention. At least that's how it is supposed to be. There's actually supposed to be an authentically refreshing difference between how followers of Jesus live in this world and how other people do. And today I want to talk briefly about a specific attribute of this good life that Peter speaks of. I want to focus on an attribute that is desperately needed in our day. And Christians should be the one who embody this attribute and live it out in a thousand different ways. So he's talking about live such good lives. And I want to drop down several notches and focus on one attribute of that good life. And so today we're talking about the missional power of patience. Might sound kind of weird. Live such good lives so the world sees your good deeds. And I can't think of a better good deed to display in today's angry and contentious world than patience. Incarnate the kingdom by practicing patience in an angry and right now on-demand world. I've been reading a book called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. It's a marvelous title, marvelous picture. It's written by a historian named Alan Kreider, and his basic point is that the early church believed God himself was patient and he had demonstrated patience to his people over and over and over and over and over again. And Jesus demonstrated this patience in countless situations he, he faced in his life. So the early church, according to Kreider, put a premium on the virtue of patience. And they believed their practice of patience in a variety of real-life situations 
demonstrated the power of the gospel in ways people could see and not refute. And as a result, Christianity, according to this guy, grew from a small sect of forgotten people into a worldwide religion. It's a fascinating idea. What he's saying is the character of Christians was a major factor in the growth of Christianity and in the growth of the early church. More specifically, the patience of Christians was unique in the first century. Patience was a unique virtue. And when Christians individually and collectively embodied this patience in a variety of situations, the world took notice and said, what is that all about? So we are in in the middle of a series on living on mission. We are at the beginning of the Advent season, which we will hopefully be a season to celebrate the arrival of Jesus, but will probably also be a season of chaos and hurry and busyness. And I would submit to you that chaos, hurry, and busyness are a bit of a breeding ground for impatience. We're still in a pandemic. And the anger and the tension in our nation, as you probably know, remains high over this issue and many other issues. So just imagine, imagine if the Christian community was once again known for its patience. A people of patience. Forbearance is one of the words other translations use. A people known for enduring without getting angry. One writer's definition of patience is to be patient, is to endure discomfort without complaint. Imagine if we as individuals and we as a Christian community were known for being a people who endure discomfort without anger or complaint. So let's talk about patience as mission. Just look at the world, or if you want, listen to the world. Read about the world. Notice the world around you on a typical day, in the neighborhood, at the airport, in the restaurant. Our world these days is often tense. It's often edgy. Just get on a freeway if you don't believe it. Our world these days is just often on the verge of anger. It wants what it wants right now on demand. Our world is kind of a kettle of boiling water, and it seems like the slightest bump creates a spill. We've talked about patience many, many times over the past several years because the world has become so demanding, so quick to anger. We've talked about the way anger and overreaction and loud confrontation have become, for some, quote, a normal Christian response. In some cases, a celebrated Christian response. And perhaps most disturbing of all, anger and overreaction and loud confrontation are even considered at times a righteous Christian response. Well, if you will permit me to borrow Peter's words, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and aliens to abstain from the sinful desire of frustration, irritation, and anger which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives 
among those who don't know God that they may see your patience and glorify God on the day he visits us. It seems so elementary. Being patient is missional in an angry and tense culture. Showing patience when servers at a restaurant don't get us what we want when we want it. When the supply chain backlog affects our Amazon delivery. When an understaffed business affects us. When a plane we're getting on is late. When there aren't enough checkout lines at the grocery store. See, showing patience in today's right now and angry world is missional. It demonstrates something different. It demonstrates the better way of God's kingdom. It shows that Jesus actually makes a concrete and practical difference in daily life. I went to Jiffy Lube earlier this week to get an oil change, and it was anything but Jiffy. (laughs) And I could just feel the manager of the place ready for a tongue lashing because it took so long. I mean, it was palpable. He almost expected me. It's like he said, almost like he was saying, I know we deserve this. Come on, just give it to me. You see this? You know what I'm talking about. There's raw vulnerability all around us that we, as Christ followers, have a chance to care for and tend to in other people. You might be thinking, what a weird concept. Come and hear about patience like it's this powerful thing. Try this on. Psalm 86.15 echoes a major and often repeated Old Testament theme. It says this, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Galatians 5.22, the Apostle Paul says, The fruit of the Holy Spirit is, among other things, patience. And in Colossians 12, in this beautiful verse, the Apostle Paul tells Christ followers to clothe themselves with patience. So this isn't just biting our lip in the moment, trying to be patient, trying to fake like we're patient so that the Jiffy Lube manager thinks there's something different about me when, in fact, I know there isn't and he knows there isn't. It isn't that. What we're talking about is patience as an attribute of God himself being reproduced in those who profess to be his followers and being lived out in an increasingly angry and tense culture. Patience is part of the fruit of following him. It's part of what the Spirit of God cultivates in us as we follow him. And you know and I know it is desperately needed in today's world. In the book I mentioned a moment ago, uh, Kreider makes reference to a first century story of a group of Christians who are about to die in a Roman amphitheater. This is gladiator kind of stuff. And there was someone in the first century who watched this all play out and actually recorded it. And he talks about the way Christians prepared themselves to face pressure and persecution like this. And one of their regular practices, whether it was to the amphitheater or because they were going to lose their job for being Christian or whatever it was, one of their regular practices was to recite the phrase to themselves and to each other, and here's the phrase, I am a Christian. 
I mean, it just sounds so basic. And yet that just grabbed my attention. When I'm sitting at not-so-jiffy lube, imagine the difference if one of the regular practices that I have cultivated is the thought, I am a Christian. Think about that. Think about saying that to ourselves as we enter this chaotic season of the year. On the front end of all these trigger points, I am a Christian. I mean, if that were to become a regular thought on the front end of various life situations, think of how it might eradicate anger, complaint, or this demanding attitude in so many of our reactions and responses. See, I am a Christian might reshape, hey, where's the food we ordered? Why is it taking so long? I am a Christian might reshape, I can't believe this person said this on social media. I'm going to post something to show how dumb they are. I am a Christian might reshape, you know, my neighbor is driving me nuts with their graduate level silliness. I was talking with a neighbor recently who has spent his career in the educational system, and he was telling me how things have drastically changed over the last decade, and he watched it unfold in front of his eyes. He talked about how parents will routinely not just complain, but file complaints and make all sorts of demands on teachers and principals and administrators if their kid gets a B-plus on a test or doesn't play in some game. Imagine that impulse at the front end of it that is met with a thought in your mind that says, I am a Christian, and how that might reshape our reaction. Patience as mission. Patience as a way of showing others the difference Jesus makes in our lives. I'm a Christian, and I live out of that reality. Second and last, let's talk about patience on mission. The story of the Bible, as you know, is the story of God's redemption and restoration of all creation. Read the book of Colossians, and you'll see this over and over again. The Bible is about God's slow work of his kingdom coming to earth, just as it is in heaven, Matthew chapter 5. This is God's mission for the world. And God is the author of the story and the protagonist of the story, And yet, the process is painfully slow and takes a long time. Think of the stories within the story, or the stories within the bigger story. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the people enslaved in Egypt. For how long? 400 years enslaved in Egypt. That's being born being raised, living, getting old, and dying, hoping, waiting, longing, praying for this thing to come to an end, but it doesn't. And then your children, they grow, they get older, they die, and their children grow and get old, and they die, and their children grow and get older, and they die. And all the while, it's the same old enslavement or exiled in Babylon for 70 years. How about those waiting for the coming of the Messiah? You can go all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, and you will see the beginnings of God's promise that one day a Messiah will come. And all those little thin pages with all those little words on it, it didn't happen. 
For most of the book, it didn't happen. So we could summarize the stories within the story in two words. Long wait. Think of your story, or I'll think of mine. Long wait. The process is usually slow and takes time. So this idea of living on mission, you may be wondering, why are we talking about this so much? I just want you to know, this is not just a passing fad we're dabbling in for a few weeks until we get back to something else and something different. Mission is the natural result of authentic spiritual formation. And we have been talking about this for a number of years. We are at a point now where we actually believe it's time to move out and do something about it. But what mission means, what it looks like in this changing culture we live in, and what it means for Oak Hills over the next several years is going to take time to sort out. So when we choose to live on mission in our homes, as we're talking about in this series, or in our neighborhoods, or in our workplaces, we must not think in terms of quick fixes. God's mission takes time to unfold and work itself out in real life. It is trial and error and error and error. Alan Kreider, in this book I mentioned earlier, there's a quote I'd like to read. It's on the screen. He writes, The early Christians had a perspective that they called patience. They believed that God was in charge of events. They knew they were not. So they were not surprised that the church's growth was uneven that there were certain areas where there were concentrations of Christians and other areas where there were no believers at all. Christian leaders didn't think or write about how to systematize the spread of Christianity. They were not concerned to cover the world evenly with evangelistic efforts. Instead, the Christians concentrated on developing practices that contributed to a habitus that characterized both individual Christians and communities. They believed that when the habitus was healthy, the churches would grow. Their theology was unhurried, a theology of patience. A few years ago, we were having an elder board meeting, and we were talking about what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about how to make progress in becoming a more missionally focused church. And I'll confess, I have been itching for us to get going on this for a number of years. I can only do handoffs for so long. Eventually, we got to drop back and fling the ball downfield. And if it gets intercepted, so what? But this handoff, 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 punt only can happen for so long. So this is all up in my head. I'm going, we got to start running some plays on this. we got to take some chances. I don't care if we make mistakes. And I'm in one of these rants in this elder board meeting. And one of the elders wisely responded and said, and this is nearly a quote, Mike, this might take 20 years before it's embedded in the DNA of our church. And I instantly felt relief. Hearing someone say it reminded me of the need for patience on this missional journey. Hearing someone say it rebuked me into remembering this is not my mission or even Oak Hills' mission. But this is God's mission. He is in the process of making all things right and new. He is in the process of his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And he's been at work at this 
for a very, very, very long time. We have a part. I have a part. You have a part. But it is God's mission. So my encouragement to us is to have the long view on this missional journey. There are people in your lives right now today you work with, you go to school with, you live near, or you even live with. You know their names. And it will likely take time, maybe a long time, for God to bring them a little closer to himself. My encouragement is stay in it with them and do not give up. We are in the process as we speak, as a church, of rethinking and reimagining what church looks like in today's and tomorrow's world. The unchangeable given is that church matters in God's mission. That is unchangeable. That is a given. But what church looks like, how it functions, will take some time to sort it out, maybe a long time. My encouragement to all of us is to let's stay in it together as we go through this process. Let's hang in together. Let's go forward together. Let's discover it together. And let's trust God is up to something together. About eight years ago, uh, Julie and I planted a lemon bush in our backyard. I may have talked to you about this unfortunate bush sometime in the past. But we planted a lemon bush in our backyard about eight years ago. And for the past seven and three-quarter years, it has produced absolutely nothing except wilted leaves. We've watered it. We've put fertilizer in it. As soon as we put the fertilizer in it, Gus walks up and eats the fertilizer. I'm not sure what's so tasty about it. We've moved the thing, so here it's over here. Maybe it needs more sun, so we move it over there. We've sat there and watched it. We've looked intently. Is there anything sprouting on this thing? I personally have complained about it Many, many times I've said, Julie, I'm getting rid of this thing. It's just a bush in a pot, and it's doing nothing. I've called it names, not nice names. I've been impatient because it's produced nothing until this fall for reasons neither of us can explain. Almost suddenly, like overnight, like Harry Potter came and went, and now there's all these little lemons on the end of this little bush. So apparently, all the while, something has been happening, even when it seemed like nothing was happening. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and aliens to abstain from anger, complaint, frustration, irritation, fist-pounding, demands, which wage war against your soul. Live patiently among the pagans. That, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, your example just stops us in our tracks. Your teaching turns things upside down. And it turns us inside out. And we thank you for your good word. And now may we live it out in the midst of the culture we're in. May we demonstrate your patience. May the very patience that you have shown to us 
be reflected in the patience that we show to others. And may we believe that even though we may not see anything happening, that something is indeed happening because the kingdom of God is real. And we pray this in Jesus' name.